Most gladly, therefore, I will. Thank you so much for just giving us this opportunity to to worship you. Thank you, dear God, for the opportunity to love you, to honor you in song. And God, I just pray this morning as we continue to worship you and opening to the word that God, you'll be honored. You'll be praised in, in such a way, and, and I just thank you so much for this church, for this opportunity, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to two places. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 2. We've been there for a while back in the fall, but we're going to be there again just for a little bit, and then Luke chapter 7. We have a new series we're starting this morning. Good morning to those of you that are looking and watching us online, and many of you that are here, and we're so delighted that you are here, and perfect time for you to, to be with us. As we start a new series, we'll be here for five weeks, six including next week and our uh, concert we're going to have. You don't want to miss that. Invite friends to be there and come. It'll, it'll be just a great joy. Uh, normally, we bring in uh, a, a music team for the concert, but we have such a great music team here. We decided to do our own as well as the COVID. Encourage that is it for us to do that way. Uh, we're going to start a series this morning called Forgiveness. That's why the Forgive for Life t-shirts you see all these people roaming around wearing that are part of our serve team here at ABC, which, by the way, my wife, stay tuned to Facebook if you're on. In my 40 years of ministry that I've been in ministry, I, I can just tell you, and I've said this before, without doubt, the number one issue is bitterness and forgiveness. We, we, because all of us interact with people, Right? We all interact with other people. If you are here today and you said, I've never struggled with forgiveness, I've never struggled with bitterness, I have never struggled with that with interactions with other people, you're either a monk, a hermit, or a liar, okay? We all have. In fact, all of us struggle all the time because we deal with people all the time. And I'm convinced that many of us are struggling with this whole area of our life and, and, and with relationships and everything because we don't have a handle on how to forgive. You know, it, it starts off when you're little. I remember I was in, I was in sixth grade, and, and uh, I asked Lori Dreyer if she liked me, and she said she just wanted to be my friend. Broke my heart. Broke my heart. I mean, for years I, I chased that girl, and she just broke my heart, and then I married Ellen. So take that, Lori Dreyer, okay? Starts out young, doesn't it? And then you just keeps going from there where you can get betrayed, stabbed in the back, hurt, people you trusted and they, and they just let you down. How do you deal with that? And, and what does God's Word have to say about that? And how do we work through all that? And so we're going to go through this series and, and the five messages I have on this, they build on one another. I don't want you to miss one of them because you're going to, you're going to miss a building block to where we get to the ultimate one in March about bitterness, and but but you need to build on it as we get there, and as we start this morning, let me just you know you know you, you look at that. You, did you ever try to figure out how things work? I used to do that all the time, try to figure out how things work, and I would break things because I was trying to figure out how they work, and, and then I give them to Bob Holmes and he fixes them for me. Okay, but like how does electricity work, or how does a phone work? How do, how do you take out a phone? And you speak into it, and it goes, goes somewhere else, hits my wife's phone, and it sounds like me. How does that work? I mean, how does the TV work? How does your heart beat? How do you breathe at night when you fall asleep? How, why don't you don't st stop breathing? Some of you do. And then so, uh, what, how do airplanes fly? Now I'm going to, some of you are horror stories. Relax, okay? Well, really, 
But then here's some interesting questions. What really happened when you got saved? Well, let me back that up a little bit more and start even further back from that. Where did sin come from? Did you ever wonder about that? Where did sin come from? Uh, Genesis 1.31 says, God saw that all, that all that he made, and it was very good indeed. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. God created all things. So did sin come from God? Which raises that obvious question, is God responsible for sin? If he isn't, then who is? Well, let me just answer simply by saying it this way, that, that sin is not a created thing. It is more a moral or ethical violation than a physical one. Sin is a de- defect in something that is good. See, nobody created it. It's a loss of perfection in beings who God created perfectly. But that doesn't really resolve the answer, the question, does it, of how sin happened? How could perfect beings rebel? How could angels who are made perfect turn against God? How could humans created in God's image choose to sin? And if God could have stopped it, why didn't he? Is he somehow still to blame for the existence of sin? Well, here's what we know from answers, and let me truncate this, this discussion till later. There's a whole, there's a whole, a whole realm of theology called a the theodicy of this, of how to, how to justify God's justice and all this. But in Isaiah 6 and Romans, uh, Revelation 4, it says, the Bible simply says that God is holy, holy, holy. And, and Psalm 11 and Zechariah 8 and Luke 16, it says that he reveals that God hates evil. He hates sin. the cause or agent, or agent of sin. He only permits evil agents to do their deeds and then overrules the evil for his own wise and holy ends. You see, sin is a horrible malignancy for which there is no human cure. Moreover, the smallest sin is so exceedingly vile that God, despite his infinite mercy and grace and forgiveness, will not and cannot even overlook even one sin without exacting its full penalty. So if that's sin, then how does that jive with the justice of God? That God is just. And, and, and what does it mean that God is just? Well, it means that he's infinitely, unchangeably right, and he's perfect in all that he does. The word justice appears over 800 times in Scripture. God's justice demands absolute conformity to God's character. And what it means is that for you and I to receive the justice of God, we must absolutely conform to his character. Absolute truth in our conversations, absolute truth in our actions, absolute truth in our thoughts, absolute truth in our hearts, absolute truth in our motives, absolute truth in our decision-making. You see, God cannot ignore any act of sin because God hates sin with a holy passion. And because he's just, he cannot be bribed or he cannot be corrupted in any way. God cannot be fooled because he's all-knowing and ever-present. He has all the facts at his disposal. So you understand something, justice is not something that God does, it is something that God is. God is just. So how does a holy God see you in your sin? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, Habakkuk says this about God. He says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I find it interesting when people come into the presence of God 
in Scripture what happens. Moses, remember, he came up to the burning bush and take off your sandals. You're on holy ground, and he fell on his face before God. Ezekiel, in chapter 1 of the book of Ezekiel, when the presence of God came before Ezekiel, immediately he got down on his face, prostrate on the ground, trembling in the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, when he saw the vision of God, the presence of God, he too trembled and got down on his face immediately on the ground before God. Paul, arrogant, proud, opinionated, stubborn. Paul, who is being groomed to be the the high priest there in, in Jerusalem, and he is killing and imprisoning Christians. He's on the road to Damascus, and there he is, proud and arrogant, walking down that road, and a vision of Jesus came, and immediately what happened? He got down on his face in the presence of God. And Philippians chapter 2 says that someday every human, alive and dead, is going to proclaim that Jesus is the Lord. This is every Human will be on their knee. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for those in hell, they'll confess he's Lord, but it'll be too late to do anything about it. You see, they all sense the overwhelming inadequacy because of their sin and the holiness of God. God had every right to send us to hell for eternity. We stand before God without merit. We stand before God without excuse. We stand before God without reason. We stand for, before God without personal resource. And we stand before God without hope. You see, sin and our brokenness violates God's holiness. It violates God's love. It violates God's justice. And it violates God's authority. Understand, his sentencing and unbelieving sinners to hell is right and good. Everyone in hell receives justice because God is fair. So I stopped there for a second. I just want us to get this picture. We are all broken. For those of you that are new here this morning, I usually start off this service that way saying, welcome to EBC. If you're looking for the perfect church, keep looking. We're not it. <laughs> you see, we're all broken people. All of us are broken. And it's okay to come broken, but it's not okay to stay broken. But, but let me just stop for a second. I'm going to ask you to re respond to me, okay? So this is where you're going to respond uh, to me. But when I say that we're broken, how, how are we broken? Give me some ways that we are broken. Somebody over in this section, give me some ways that we're broken. Shout it out. What's that? Pride, Pride okay. Give me another one. Come on. Lying. Selfishness. All right, how about over here? Keep it going. No fear of God. What are, where are some other ways that we're broken? Come on. Disobedience. Disobedience. Yeah. See, when we think of brokenness, here's what I think is interesting. When we think of brokenness, we think of our sins, don't we? We think of our sins. Now, now, now follow me for a second, because this is going to be something that I, I really I want you to get. We're not broken because of our sins. We're broken because of sin. Let me say that again. 
We're not broken because of our sins. When we think of brokenness, we think of our sins. We think of pride. We think of arrogance. We think of selfishness. We think of, of, of looking at porn. We think of adultery, fornication. We think of drunkenness. We you know, think of stealing and lying and all these things. We think of sins. Sins are not the reason why we're broken. The reason why we're broken is because of sin, because you and I have a sin nature. We were born with a sin nature. A spirit of sin is in you. And because of that, you demonstrate that by sins. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration now, and then we'll come back later. But Pastor Jamie was sharing with me. Uh, it's not Sarah. Okay, that's not what I mean. It's not, not, not Sarah. But he has a, he has a problem. And, and that is that in his backyard, he's getting some rich things coming out of the ground from his septic tank. And so his septic tank has failed, to f- is not functioning. And so all these rich, wonderful things are coming out of the ground and going down there. And so he needs to get that fixed. So he asked Kevin Fisher, I guess Kevin's going to come over, his, his, his company's going to come over and fix it. So Pastor Jamie, he comes over, and, and what he does is he dumps a pile of dirt in your backyard, gives you a brand new shovel, and says, listen, when you see it, just cover it up. Just take a shovel of dirt and put it over it, and it's fixed. And you're smiling, saying, he didn't fix my problem, Right? But isn't that what we do with our sins? I got this sin over here I'm struggling with, fear, uh, uh, insecurity. I got this sin of, of, of looking at pornography, and, and so I'll try to fix it. I'll try to take my shovel dirt. I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to try to fix it. But you know what the problem is? Every time you try to fix it, it keeps coming because you didn't fix the problem. See, unfortunately, Pastor Jamie is going to have to get out the whole system and put a whole new system in to fix the problem. So you know what the amazing thing is? (laughs) You and I, we compare our sins. Well, sometimes I am a little bit arrogant and proud, and sometimes I, I lie a little bit, but man, I just do that so my kids go to bed. Or sometimes, but I'm... I am not like Hitler, who killed six million people. I'm not like a sex tra- uh, trade uh, guy, guy who's, who's, who sells all these, these children. I'm, I'm, you know, th- those, are, those are real bad sins. My sins, God, the- you, with your, quote, little, end quote, sins, are demonstrating you have a sin problem. And these people over here with big sins are only demonstrating they have a sin problem. You see, God's looking at this. Yes, there's consequences to our sins, but the sins will never stop if you don't deal with the problem. And you and I, we look at this going, well, I might be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not bad, as bad as that person over here. And I'm saying to you that you have the same problem as Hitler. You have the same problem as somebody that runs a drug cartel. You have the same problem as someone that runs a sex trade industry. And that is you and that person both have a sin nature you were born with. 
how you manifest it might be a little nicer than they do, but you have the same problem. We are incapable of pleasing God with that old nature. Listen carefully. There are so many churches out there who are saying, take your old nature and give money to the church or get baptized or do good works. Your old nature cannot do good works that please God because every good work that your old sinful nature does is from the wrong motive. Because it cannot be even the way it loves is from the wrong motive. Your old nature cannot in any way please God at all because it is corrupted. Now watch. Colossians chapter 2. In that state, do you understand that now? Stop quantifying your sin. You are hopeless. You said, I came to church to hear this? Yeah. You are before God without any ability to please Him. And God is just and right because of your sin issue to damn you to hell forever. But instead, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not cut away, but God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He forgives and he erases the justice of God that demands an eternal hell for sin was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. You know what he did? In that state of corruptness and hopelessness, God says, I still love you. And you say, why? I don't know. But he said, my justice says I must have a payment. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, who, understand, it wasn't just that he was beaten. It wasn't just that he was nailed to a cross. It wasn't just that he died physically. Listen, the price for sin is eternal separation, eternal damnation in a place called hell. Jesus paid that price, and, and, and he paid the eternal price of damnation, and he paid your hell for you. So that God could be just and forgiving. But number two, look at this, verse 15. He disarms and gives victory. In this way, he disarms the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them by the cross. He frees us to worship him in a heart pain. He frees us from condemnation, so don't let anyone condemn you. Isn't that wonderful? When God forgives, he doesn't condemn. If you are saved and you know Christ is your Savior, God will never condemn you. Romans 8 1 says, Therefore now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian this morning and you feel condemnation, it's not from God, it's from Satan. The Holy Spirit convicts to bring you to freedom. God never condemns a Christian. It's all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
That is what it means to be forgiven and to be justified. You see, forgiveness means that God releases the debt that we owe, and justification means that He's declared us righteous. He's declared us righteous. Ephesians 1, 6 says that when he looked down, it says, let me read to you. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You see, when we are justified, our sins are not only completely obliterated from the face of the universe, and you are declared righteous, but when God looks down from heaven, understand something. Your old nature has been removed. Your old nature has been destroyed. God gave you a new spirit, a new nature, and when God looks down at heaven, at Rick Garland, he doesn't see the old nature. He sees the new nature, and he says, I declare you righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're eternally accepted by God, and because God's immutable, he can't change his mind. You are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Think of a triple X robe that God puts around you. He says, I'm going to clothe you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not yours, it's his. And he looks at you and says, I, I placed on you the righteousness of Jesus Christ because I love you, and I want you to be free. Chuck Swindoll. His definition of justification, let me read it to you. He says, he declares sinners to be right in the sight of Jesus. Please understand, to be justified does not mean just his... I hear that often, and it always troubles me. In fact, it weakens the full impact of justification. Justification really means, even though I still sin periodically and find myself unable to stop sinning on a permanent basis, God declared me righteous when I believed. And because I will continue to sin from time to time, I find all the more reason to be grateful for grace. As a sinner, I deserve vengeance. As a sinner, I'm afraid of justice. And so as a sinner, my only hope for survival is grace in its purest form. It doesn't make any earthly sense. God cannot stop gracing us. He forgives. No, he justifies. No, he allows at least 90 things to happen to you. Back a few years ago, I gave you a list of 45 things. Since then, I found 45 more. And I, I want to do this every year. I want to keep repeating this because I, I, you need to know this. God didn't just forgive you. God keeps giving grace. He gives grace. He gives grace. At the moment of salvation, at least 90 things either happen to you or recognize at the moment of salvation, and he keeps on gracing you. I think there's a lot more. I think that goes on and on and on. I think we get to heaven, we're going to keep learning more and more and more and more about it. But I did put them in your, I, I put them in, in your bulletin because I, I would, go ahead and study them. Because I think for all the rest of your life, you're going to study what they all mean. Let me go really fast. You say, you already talk fast, Pastor Rick. Well, I'm going to go faster. Let me just wash over as you read the things that happened at the moment of salvation. It wasn't just forgiveness. Ready? I'm accepted. I have access to the Father. I'm adopted. I'm, I'm alive. I'm an ambassador. I'm appointed. I've been atoned. I'm baptized. I'm baptized into one body. I belong to Christ. I'm blameless. I'm blessed. I'm born again. I'm born in the Spirit. I'm a branch of His vine. I'm, I'm family. I'm brought near to, by the blood of Christ. I'm buried with Him. I'm called. I'm a child of God, a child of light. I'm, I'm circumcised. I'm chosen. 
I belong to Christ, Christ in you, I'm comforted, I'm complete, I am comforted, I am created to do good works, I have died, I am his disciple, I am elected, I'm a servant of God, I'm equipped, I'm eternal security, I'm a fellow citizen with the saints, I'm a fellow worker, I'm a fellowship with Christ, I'm known, I flee from the from the law of sin and death, I am free from sin, I am free, I am gifted, I am placed in his body, I'm glorified, I'm graced, I have eternal life, I, am, I have an advocate, I am healed, I, have, I am an heir, I am holy, I have hope, I am undwelled, I have uh, inheritance, I will, uh, I will judge, I will be justified, I'm justified, I am loved, I am a member of the body of Christ, I am a new creation, I am a new self, I am not condemned any longer, I'm brought by Jesus, bought, bought by Jesus' blood, I am God's household, I am an overcomer, I have power, I am predestined, he propitiated my sin. I am purified. I am raised up again. I am reconciled. I am regenerated. I have remission of sins. I am renewed by the Holy Spirit. He renews my mind. I am, rec- I am resurrected. I, am, I have the righteousness of God. I am a saint. I am sanctified. I am saved. I am sealed. I am seated with him in heavenly places. I am secure. I am a sheep. I am the temple of God. I have been transformed. I am united with him. And I am washed. Amen. Huh? That's what God does at the moment of salvation. And if now we take the rest of our life figuring out what they all mean. Now take your Bibles quickly and turn to Luke chapter 7. God forgave. You were born with a corrupted sin nature, sin spirit, that manifests itself in so many ways, and there's nothing in that spirit that can please God. And God says, I'm going to come down, and by faith you can receive my son as your Savior. He can pay the price, and you can eradicate that. I'll give you a new spirit, so that new spirit can bring glory to my name. In Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36, we read this story. And one of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman woman in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster jar of uh, perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet, anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman. Can you see that? Can you hear that intonation in his voice? What kind of woman? In a condescending way, this, this kind of woman that he, that she, who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. What a hypocrite. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, had washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Let's look at this story and let's break it down. The woman who is a sinner, know the culture. This man invited Jesus to the house and he was a Pharisee. He was uh, prominent in society and so he must have had a large house and, and, and most houses back then had a courtyard and in that courtyard they would have a fire and that's where they would have their meals. So he invited them over and the way they would do their meals is they would have a table here and they would have a table here and a table here, a big U shape. So table, table, table. So the servant can come in the middle and serve the food. And the tables would be low to the ground. There'd be pillows around there. And then the way you would recline is you would lay down like this, put your, put your elbow on, on, on a, a pillow and you would take from the table and you would talk. You would, and so your feet would be stuck out. Without sandals on, without socks, they would just have feet that would be stuck out there. And then what, in his courtyard, there would be a, a rock wall. We know about that here in New Hampshire, about rock walls, don't we? But they'd have a rock wall that would be around that whole courtyard. And in those days, you would invite all your guests in, but people, anybody could go around that rock wall and they could be watching. Poor people would come looking for scraps because there was no welfare, so maybe you get some scraps from the table. People interested in what's going on, especially if you had an important guest. Well, that day, here's a Pharisee inviting Jesus in to talk. So that was, must have been crowded around that courtyard with everybody watching and waiting to see what was happening. Now, keep in mind, this was not just a normal visit. As we find out in a minute, the Pharisees were out to trap Jesus in something that he would say. More than likely, Jesus walked into what the Pharisees thought was a trap. <laughs> Little did they know that the hunted was really the hunter. The woman who was a sinner, that's how the Pharisees saw her, critical and condescending. She was a sinner. What does that mean? Well, in that day, in that culture, everybody knew what that meant. The woman was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She was a and that day, like today, you know, it was not looked on fondly. And I, I got to wonder that some of the people that the Pharisee invited around his guests in the small town, they all knew who she was. Maybe they all knew her for reasons that made them uncomfortable. And there she was. And she brought an alabaster jar full of fragrant oil. And interesting. The kind of perfume that she had indicated it was not cheap. It was very costly. And what they would do, ladies in that day would wear uh, a necklace with a little bar of perfume around their neck as a way to counter body odor. But this one was a very fancy little bottle because it was made of alabaster, which was a stone from Egypt, sort of like marble, and had a really thin neck. And when you break the neck, maybe a half an ounce or ounce, or there she was, and, and she had this around with costly contents. And, the, and it says in the scripture, as she stood there at his feet, she began to weep. Luther calls this heart water. In fact, the Greek word breko means rain. She literally was raining tears on his feet. All right, so she's there. She climbs over the wall. She gets to Jesus' feet, and she's raining tears. She's weeping at his feet. His feet that were full of sand, full of dirt, because you know, we were in sandals in a dusty place there. And so she's weeping tears on his feet, and she had no towel, and so she used her hair. Now, the ladies in that day kept their hair up. It was not, it was very improper to put, take your hair down. She pulled her hair down, and she took her long hair, and she was drying his feet from all the tears that were weeping on it. You understand that that would bring shame to her. It couldn't even be grounds for divorce. But she didn't care. All self-consciousness was gone. 
all she knew is the one who accepted her and, and has forgiven her. You see, what she was doing wasn't to earn forgiveness. It was because she was forgiven She was kissing his feet. That means she was intensely embracing and kissing and clinging on to. Now, let's just stop for a second. <laughs> Here's Jesus. He's reclining at the table, talking about theology with these Pharisees who are trying to trap him in his words. He's engaging them in conversation. And this woman that was a prostitute comes over the wall. She's weeping. Now, I don't know if she's like my wife. And she leaps, and when they cry, she makes noise, or she cries silently. But she's crying enough that there's a lot, something's going on. The tears are flowing on his feet. She's wiping them off, and then she breaks the perfume, which then the whole room smells like perfume. And she's kissing and clinging onto his feet as he's talking about theology. What do you think everybody's looking at? They're looking down here. You know what I wondered? Why didn't some of the people go, huh? Why is that woman so familiar with Jesus? Mm-hmm. I know why, right? How is any prostitute feeling so familiar with a man, right? But get this. None of the men who are trying to trap Jesus in his words even, even came to that conclusion. Why? Because they were trying to hurt his reputation because they knew they couldn't touch his character. Can I stop here for a second? Some of you, let's be honest, your reputation's been hurt. You have little control of your reputation, but you have ever, all control over your character. Well, go on. The self-righteous Pharisee. They were more enamored with rightness than righteousness. They focused more on rules and relationship. They only saw a list and they didn't live a life. And here they are, the Messiah is right in front of them. And they didn't see him. You see, sometimes God works right in front of us, and we can't see him because he doesn't fit into our little box. This man is guilty of what we do from time to time. He, he was very quick to judge this woman and her sin, sins and didn't take time to evaluate his her sins were public, but his was more private or internal of arrogance, pride, bitterness, and selfishness. He was quantifying sin. He said, look at her wicked filthiness and how bad she is. I imagine that I might have some rough areas, but nothing like hers. But look at the forgiving Savior. Simon already had quantified and determined that this woman was a lot worse than he was. So Jesus came up with an illustration. Someone owed, now I'll put it in today's money, Somebody owed $200,000 and somebody owed $20,000. Maybe a house payment and a car payment, right? Somebody owed $200,000 and somebody owed $20,000. He said, and that forgave them both. He said, Simon, which one do you think will be rejoice more? He said, well, obviously the one that was forgiven $200,000. He said, you're right. Now understand, it wasn't, don't miss this. He wasn't saying the women had more sins to be forgiven. That's not what he was saying. It wasn't about how many sins, because we're all sinners. What he, she was saying is this, that she's already become forgiven. She was in a state of forgiveness, and she was trying to express gratitude to Jesus. What he was saying was this, listen, you don't get it. 
you're quantifying sins and saying, well, you know, she sinned more and I didn't sin as much. But Jesus said what, what this woman saw wasn't her sins, wasn't her prostitution. She saw that she was a sinner. She saw that she had a sin nature that deserved hell and nothing in her could please God. And that God came and forgave her. When, it, when there was no right in herself for that, she captured the concept. He was still playing with the idea of, well, I might lie once in a while. I might do this. She was still playing with the sins issue. And when this prostitute got it right, it's not sins issue. It's a sin issue. How do we apply? If you don't get the forgiveness of God, you'll never be able to forgive anyone completely. It starts there. For some of you, the gospel is so common that the truth of it has become very uncommon to you. Understand, forgiveness from God is complete. It's totally complete, undeserved that God has given to us while we're yet sinners, steeped in our sin, wallowing in degradation without hope. That's when God reached down in grace and offered forgiveness and Christ's righteousness to you. God is just because the price was paid in Christ and Jesus paid our eternal hell. The woman was forgiven much because she was forgiven of her sin nature. The Pharisee didn't get it. Christians that struggle with forgiving others are often short-sighted with their forgiveness of God. When we forget who we are and what God has done for us, we over-evaluate ourselves and devalue God. It is when we finally, with open eyes, realize our hopeless, sinful condition with no cure that we need to hear forgiven, that our debt is not too big, our sin is not too bad, our drift is not too far, our guilt is not too painful, and our life is not too lost that God would not say, you're forgiven. See, this morning, some of you are like the guy who has a septic issue. And you just keep on, you're over here going, I think if I just put more dirt on it, I can fix this. If I can put more dirt on it, I can fix this. How's that going for you? And you see, you feel like i got to work at it. And, and, and people that are trying to renovate the old man, the old nature, they never fully grasp the forgiveness of God. And they don't understand what God really did. What God's saying is, stop. That's why I'm saying God's not as interested in dealing with your sins. He wants to deal with your sin because you deal with the core issue and you recognize that it's crucified with Christ and you let it go and you take the step and say, I'm going to live in the new spirit, the one that God sees me in. I am free from that life. All of a sudden, the sins take care of themselves. And we understand that you and I while maybe not as bad as Hitler, stand on the same ground as Hitler does because both of us had the same core issue and that you and I deserve to be damned in hell, but it's only the forgiveness of God that gives us hope. Amen? Forgiveness from God. Lord, this morning, I pray that some of us love God little, love you little, Some of us, we like you, and the reason why we just like you is because we're so steeped in our sins, and we're trying to overcome our sins 
when we haven't dealt with the core issue, our sin, and recognize that, God, that we are dead, it is powerless, that nothing in the old self can be renovated, and we need to let it go and by faith believe and yield and surrender to the new self, to the new spirit that you've given to us. And all of a sudden, then there's power to overcome sins. So this morning, God, I pray that maybe for the first time some would just see that, God, we stand before you no better than Hitler, no better than Nero. God, we stand in front of you no better than any human that has ever existed on this earth. We all stand on level ground as corrupt spirits inside of us that deserve to be tanned in hell. And God, the only hope we have is your forgiveness because in that state you said, I love you and reach down with the blood of Christ to save us. Lord, may we never get over the wonder of that forgiveness. God, may we say, I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen.